to do something this morning before I even read the text, and I'll pray about the pa- uh, passage and that sort of thing in this prayer as well as these other matters. But uh, my guess is your heart is like the hearts of many around this country. As we watch things uh, shaping up in this nation, you can't help but be concerned. And that, that doesn't matter which party you're a part of. You ought to be very concerned about the direction of this nation. As a pastor, I'm particularly concerned because uh, I see the direction of our nation taking uh, the church in a very dangerous uh, a path, down a dangerous path. And I do believe that um, there is going to be, if we continue on the road we're on, there's going to be repercussions to the biblical church, the church that stands for biblical values. And um, so our nation is divided. It is in, um, it is in there's chaos in our, our land. And I believe that, uh, I'm, I agree with Franklin Graham. I believe the judgment of God is coming, and uh, that terrifies me, uh, that God may say, I've had enough, uh, I'm, uh, I'm done, and uh, I pray that won't be the case, but um, because there is this great line in Scripture, anytime um, the people of God were faced with um, a chaos and distance from God, and everyone would agree that this nation is distant from God. And any time in the Bible we see the people of God in a precarious place, we would often see these two words, but God. I want to tell you something. Um, This place is a mess, but God. Our hope is in God. And let's put our hope in God. And so I want us to pray this morning about all of these things. Prove the tithe, the, this couple that's uh, going overseas, those who are viewing us overseas. Um, by the way, in lands where they could never gather in a church like this. And God, help us that it doesn't become that way in America, where the American church has to go, the biblical church has to go underground. God forbid. But we're seeing censorship and all kinds of things that are just absolutely incredible in a nation that was built on freedom and freedom of expression. And now we're seeing that, uh, those restrictions that are coming. Again, regardless of where you come down politically, that ought to scare you uh, and, uh, and should scare us about the future of the church when it preaches a message that's unacceptable to cultural ideals. And that's really why this series I'm in is so important. Because it is counter to counter the myths and the lies that culture has propagated as truth. So I want us to pray about all these things. Would you join me? Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you are the conqueror. Uh, One day we will rise. No more sorrow, uh, no more pain, God. One day we will rise. But in the meantime, God, our hope is in you. In the meantime, we rejoice. We look at you and we say, yeah, everything else may be uh, going the wrong way, morally, culturally, and even theologically. And yet we say, but God, we look at you. And Father, I pray for our congregation that you will keep us strong in the faith. Uh, Father, um, I pray that you will cause us to be faithful in all things, including things like prove the tithe, Lord, that's coming in just a few weeks. I pray, Father, that you will um, favor this family from our church that's headed to the, to the field uh, to serve. Uh, and I pray, God, that you will uh, protect them, watch over them, and bless their work wildly. I pray, Father, for those who are watching us in foreign lands Well, those who are watching us right here um, in our own land, Uh, Father, we pray for all of these, in particular those who we know are watching and uh, perhaps at peril. Uh, We thank you and we pray that you will bless them, protect them, and that you'll cause them to come to know you as their Savior and Lord. Uh, Father, we pray for our nation. Uh, Lord, we pray for the direction of this nation. Uh, Father, that has uh, in so many ways uh, walked away from you, uh, thumbed its nose, uh, turned its nose up at you, and uh, Father said that, uh, that it would do its own thing. Uh, Father, 
deal with us in grace and mercy and not in your wrath. Lord, I pray that it is not too late for this nation. And Father, I pray for those who, with good intentions, have believed the myths and the lies of culture. Father, that you would reorient their hearts and minds to your word. Father, uh, our hope again is in you, and so we praise you, and we, we thank you, God, that nothing that happens around us or happens to us is a surprise to you. So help us to keep our eyes on you, like Jehoshaphat who said, Lord, we don't know what to do, so our eyes are on you. And when we feel that, Father, I pray that you'll turn our eyes to you so that we can allow you to do what you long to do anyway, and that is uh, to favor your people, to restore your people. And I pray, Father, that you'll restore this land to the truth it was founded upon. Now speak, Father, through the message that I will share. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you'll keep your Bibles open to uh, 2 Corinthians 10, and we'll read our text in just a moment, I, you see that at the top of your outline, the, the, uh, top, uh, the title of my message in this uh, Myths That Lead to Misbelief, Part 2, is The Battle for Your Mind. And so let me begin this morning by giving you some common quotes. You've heard some of these like this, A stale mind is the devil's bread box. Or how about this one, An empty mind is an open door to the devil. Or here's one, the body manifests what the mind harbors. Another says, a man is known by the company his mind keeps. And still another, if you would perfect your body, guard your mind. And if you don't control your mind, someone else will. Amen? Now every year about this time, Many people make new commitments, and I've told you, we've talked about it, you already know the number one commitment people make in the new year is, say it again, is to do what, class? Lose weight. No, they don't say get in shape, Robert. They're not interested in getting in shape. They just want to lose weight. Lose weight, that's number one. Go on a diet every year. They re-enlist in the Battle of the Bulge, don't they? Well, it's a battle that's always been around. And we hear a lot of talk about it at the beginning of each year. But I want to tell you, there is a battle that is also all around us and always has been around us, and it is far more deadly and far more destructive. It is the battle for your mind. The greatest battlefield of your life is the battlefield of your mind. And the enemy, the devil himself, is constantly looking for ways that he can deceive you and Uh, use myths and lies and misrepresentations to uh, corrupt and control your mind. Your mind is uh, this spiritual battlefield, and the battle is between uh, good and evil. It's between God and Satan, and it's been around since the garden when the devil played mind games with Adam and Eve. You know the story, don't you? He deceived Eve with a myth and with a half-truth. And it caused her and Adam to defy God. And all of these years later, he's still at it. He still uses the same tactics to deceive and to misrepresent or to twist and pervert uh, something that God has said. In fact, listen to what Paul said in, in, in just a chapter over. Uh, Look there at verse 3 in chapter 11. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning Uh, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Whatever or whoever controls your mind will shape your life and your destiny. And with that in mind, I want to read our text. If you'll stand with me this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, the Scripture says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. Listen to this. This is a a key verse. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Again, Lord Jesus... Bless your word to our lives. Transform us with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now, this passage is a warning. 
It's a call to arms. It's a powerful reminder that what is going on around us is really the result of what's going on beyond us. We're in the realm that we can't see, the spiritual realm. And it is an effort to influence our thinking. It is an effort to move us from truth. It is actually a battle that is spiritual. And because it is a spiritual battle, Paul says it can only be fought with spiritual weapons. It isn't a logical battle. It doesn't feel real because we don't really see it. We see the results of it. And, um, and, and it is a battle that isn't truthful. It's based on lies and misrepresentation. In fact, let me give you a perfect example of the way it kind of plays out in the real world. Um, just this past week, on Monday, the leaders of our House of Representatives, those that control the lower chamber, voted along party lines to approve new and official language in the, in the guidelines of their operation. In the House of Representatives, now you are no longer able to use words such as himself or herself, they are to be replaced with themselves, out with father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, and other familial terms. You can't use those anymore. You have to replace those with parent, child, sibling, and so forth. By the way, there's a nefarious cultural agenda going on with the replacement of gender ideology. And, uh, and, and I don't have time to... I will talk about that in another message in this series. The minority leader of the House responded to this when he, these new rules have been uh, replaced and said, and I have to agree with him, it's a, he used a Greek phrase. He said, and I quote, this is just stupid. But it is a clear example, listen, of how the battle for truth and your mind is under attack. Hello? And so in order for us to understand these things, Paul gives us three insights to protect us, and to give us victory in this battle. And by the way, let me just say something, because I just spoke out about that. The day will come when there will be censorship because I spoke out about that, because I didn't abide by the, the cultural ideology. So it's important for us to understand what's going on in this battle for our minds. And I want to show you three things this morning. The first thing I want you to see is the demonic producer of myths. Paul references that in verse 3. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We, we walk in the flesh, we live in the flesh, but we're not waging war according to the flesh. I've never seen a time in my life when there was, uh, was such a concentrated effort by the culture and the world we live in to redirect, reshape our hearts and, uh, and our minds and to cause us to accept as truth myths and lies that are clearly and distinctly contrary to God's revealed uh, truth. And it's been very effective, in part because many only see the surface matter and not the source of the matter. One of my favorite uh, from years ago Christian singers was a guy named Keith Green. You know and remember Keith. And he wrote a song, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, song about what's really going on, called No One Believes in Me Anymore. It was written as if the devil were speaking or singing the words. Let me share the lyrics with you. Uh, as if the devil were saying, oh, my job keeps getting easier. As time keeps slipping away, I can imitate the brightest light and make the night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now since no one believes in me anymore. The fact is, we have to understand the source behind the myths and the lies. They go beyond, the source goes beyond the physical and the mental realm. The Scripture teaches that the source is far more sinister and far more nefarious and far more dark and evil than we even know. You see, while this battle plays out in the real world, its agenda is birthed in hell and it is promoted and pushed by Satan himself. Frankly, the devil wants your mind. And he's declared war on your mind and on your thoughts. And here's what he does. He uses the cultural sages 
of an age. He uses the politically correct ideologies. And by the way, just a footnote. Did you know political correctness is now the old term? The new term is woke or wokeness. And, and what the devil does is he uses the cultural sages, those who are woke, the politically correct ideologies to redefine language and the norms for society and subsequently reject the truth that has been clearly stated in God's Word. That's where we are, people. And, and listen, don't be stunned. It's in the churches. If you don't get the spiritual nature of what's going on in your world, you are going to be victimized by myths and lies, and you're going to develop spiritual cataracts. You know what cataracts lead to? They lead to blindness. We have, you know, our little terrorist dog, our little three-pound Yorkie. We've had, I guess, 13 years or so. Recently, we noticed that it happened very quickly that one of her eyes just clouded over. We took her to the vet, see what they said, it's cataracts and her vision is gone in that eye. Cataracts eventually lead to blindness if they're not dealt with. And I want to tell you, here's the slow boil of cultural ideologies, of wokeness, is to convince you that wokeness is the norm. Political correctness is the norm, and anything outside of that is abnormal. And it is the means by which the enemy uh, will cause people to accept the social norm in order to be accepted, by the way, in the culture as a, instead of the biblical norm. You've got to get that right. There are many who confess Christ that have lost their way because they have allowed their minds to be filled with popular opinion instead of eternal truth. The devil is deceptive. And uh, there, there are a couple things you must never forget about the devil. Write this down. Number one, you must never forget that the devil is the father of lies. He is the father of lies. In fact, Jesus described him this way. He says he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's how Jesus is. Never forget that the devil uh, is the father of lies. He's never going to tell you the truth about anything. He didn't tell Adam and Eve the truth. He told them a half-truth with, with, with God is a whole lie. And he said, listen, God doesn't want you eating of that tree because he knows when you do, you will be like him. You will know good from evil. And by the way, that much was right. But he didn't tell them the whole story. And that is, it will, it will bring death upon you. It will bring disease upon the world and suffering and on and on. He deceives. He lies. He'll take something that sounds good. He'll play to your mind. That's what we see going on in much of our culture today, where culture plays to our mind. Oh, uh, who are you to say who should love one another? And all kinds of things like this. And we say, well, yeah, that's not my, that's not my place. Listen, it isn't your place. God's already made it His place. But what we do is, if we're not careful, all of us can be subtly deceived because he is very cunning. Don't ever think that you're more smart, uh, that you're smarter than the devil. And don't ever think he's ever going to tell you the truth about anything. He is the father of lies, Jesus said. But here's the second thing you need to remember about the devil. Not only is he the father of lies, the devil's a phony. He's a phony. 2 Corinthians 11, the, just the next chapter over in verse 14 says, For even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. He's a phony. The devil is never going to truthfully represent himself to you. He's, he's cloak and dagger. He'll hide his lies and he'll hide his character and his nature and he'll present it and he'll present himself in such a way that uh, it helps you justify sin or rationalize beliefs that are myths and lies and inconsistent with God's command. You think about this. The devil's never going to show up in our lives uh, wearing a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. Because we're not complete morons. We would recognize it, wouldn't we? We would say, <laughs> I know who you are. I'm not listening to you. He never shows up. He masquerades. As an angel of life, uh, light, he masquerades. Why? Because he's a phony. 
He's a phony. He's never going to reveal himself, and he's never going to reveal himself in a culture as, uh, as um, what he is. He's going to always reveal himself as a sage. He's going to reveal himself as, as knowing what people need and, and knowing what they should have. That's how he's going to appear, because he masquerades. So understanding the source of myths and lies that lead to misbelief is essential if you're not going to be overcome by them. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Paul speaks of the divine power over myths. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is the second thing that he reminds us of in this battle for your mind. Uh, we all have a problem. It's our flesh. All of us have a problem with the flesh. No matter who you are, um, we all live in the real world of flesh and blood, don't we? And our flesh is the culprit that the devil often works through or, or works in, and it is what he attacks or he uses to destroy us. Um, when uh, our daughter was in high school, she had one of her buddies come over to spend the night on a uh, weekend, on a Friday night, and uh, I was up early on a Saturday morning when the girls got up and they came in for breakfast, and I was uh, wearing short pants and a T-shirt. And when this little girl, who's a member of our congregation, when she came in with cares for breakfast, and I was there in a T-shirt and, and short pants, it freaked her out. And she, she whispered to Karis, Karis, your dad is wearing regular clothes. And Karis looked at her and responded and said, of course he is. What do you think? He walks around in a suit all the time? It was the perceptions, you know. It, uh, and look, it doesn't matter, saved or lost, we live in the very real world of the flesh. And by the way, I take the garbage out too. Did it last night. I mean, all of those sorts of things. But what happens is, if we're not careful, we forget that though we're in the flesh, we have a spiritual battle. I read this week the story about a man who wanted to see if he could get more spiritual, and so he went to a monastery. It was a monastery where they took a vow of silence. And uh, they, they were allowed two words every year. And at the end of that year for this man, he would go to his superior, and the superior would say, you have two, ye uh, two words, what are your words? And so he did. At the end of his first year, he said, and his superior said, what do, what do you have to say? And he said, bed hard. And his superior said, thank you, and you may go back. After his second year, he came and his superior said to him, you have two more words. Uh, what would you like to say now? And he said, food, bad. And his superior said, thank you, and you can return. And so he served a third year, and he came on that third year to his superior, and his superior said, you have two words. What would you like to say? He said, I quit. To which his superior replied <laughs> and said, Well, you might as well quit. All you've done for three years is complain. <laughs> Listen, the fact is, you can't, no matter how spiritual you want to get, you can't get away from this world. Uh, no matter where you go, we're in the flesh, and sometimes the food is bad, and the bed is hard, and you have to take out the garbage, and all of those kinds of things. But here's the deal. Paul is saying that while we live in the physical world of flesh, our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our battle is not between men. Our battle is within man. And our problem is often we've, we've been trying to conquer a spiritual enemy with fleshly weapons. And it's never going to work. How do we do that? Well, we try to, we try to fight spiritual battles through fleshly weapons of, of our intellect. You know, we depend on our knowledge, and we assume that if we get smarter, we'll be able to solve all the conflicts of our flesh and all the battles that we face. Let me tell you something. Increased information without spiritual transformation only makes a person more effective in their evil activity. They only get smarter about it. Someone as well said, you've, you've taken an ignorant man and, 
uh, he may steal an item from a train car. But you give him an education, he'll steal the whole train. And so sometimes what we do is we're relying on our intellect to try to get smarter so we can fight the enemy of our soul, this internal battle. We'll just outsmart him. And then sometimes we try to fight with the fleshly weapon of, of our politics. We demand more laws that restrict evil and that tame the flesh. But, you know, more legislation doesn't create a greater spiritual transformation. And while laws are good and necessary if they are founded in truth, they are still essentially outward weapons against spiritual forces. In fact, listen, just, just living in this week illustrates this well. And I would just say to you that we must never assume that politics or politicians or government can do for us what only God Himself can do. And, and that's true no matter what your affiliation is. But listen to this. But we also must never assume that God cannot do what needs to be done unless the right person is in office. Let me tell you and remind us all again, God is above fleshly government. And so we have to be careful that we don't t turn our battles into uh, just nothing more than uh, political battles. And then third, we often fight the fleshly battles, uh, the spiritual battles with the fleshly uh, weapons of relationships. We believe that relationships with others will protect us from the assault of the enemy. And relationships apart from Christ are no path to victory. The devil will gladly fill your life with relationships of the wrong kind, relationships that will lead you away from the truth if you believe that relationships themselves will help you uh, fight spiritual battles. I have to tell you that I've seen people, I've seen people in my almost 20 years here, I've seen people that have left the church who were following God, it seemed, with their whole heart, and they left the church because... They wanted to pursue a relationship with uh, someone. I've seen them turn their back on the things of God all for the sake of a relationship. The devil will fill your life with all kinds of relationships if it'll get you to turn your back on God. Now, these things that I mentioned, the intellect and politics and relationships, they're, they're, they themselves are not necessarily uh, good or bad. But here's what I want you to get. This is spiritual war. And those things are no substitutes for spiritual weapons in a spiritual war. In other words, that's what Paul's saying. You can't win spiritual battles with fleshly weapons. The difference maker for the believer is that our weapons have been given to us by God and they are deployed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, Paul says they are strong enough to break strongholds. you got some strongholds in your life. I want to tell you, getting smarter is not a bad thing, but it isn't going to help you win the, the deep battle. The right person in office is not going to help you win those spiritual wars. The right relationship is not going to help you break down, tear down strongholds. What's going to cause you to be able to tear the strongholds down? It is the, the spiritual weapons. And by the way, you say, well, where do I find these? Go, go read Ephesians chapter 6. He's, God says you've got a whole armor to put on to protect you he says literally from the fiery darts or the schemes of the devil you've got a whole access to a whole armor the question is are you putting it on a lot of christians are getting beat up in the spiritual war they're trying to fight with uh, 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 fleshly weapons and they're losing the battle because they're not fighting in the right armor but let me give you one last thing all right i want you to notice this it's in verse five it's the discerning practice regarding myths. You've got to learn to discern truth from lies, myths from that which is real. He says in verse 5, and this is, the I think, the, the operative verse in this, these uh, verses we read. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is an active process. In fact, in the Greek, it is what we call the present active tense and that means this this isn't an event it's an ongoing kind of practice that's what he's saying we continue to do this we destroy arguments and we continue to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God and we just keep on doing this that's what Paul said it denotes a serious 
disciplined approach to uh, uh, what you hear, the things that come into your life, into your mind, the messages out there. It is a serious and disciplined approach where you take what comes in and you surrender it to God. And when you discern the the truth about it, uh, that which is false is destroyed. And by the way, it doesn't matter if the world says it's true. If God says it is not true, it is not true. Hello? And by the way, that is something you want to build your life on because one day you're going to stand before Him and you won't be able to say, well, I just thought... You know, I've, how many times have I said it to you over the years? Like when, when I hear people say, well, I know what the Bible says, but... You know what they're saying? I, I'm not subjecting my ways to the Scripture. I'm subjecting the Scripture to my ways. I'm going, to, I'm going to let culture, I'm going to let ideology or vain philosophies, as Paul called them, I'm going to let those shape my mind, and then I'm going to see if I can marry the Bible to what I've already decided to believe because it is popular and it's acceptable, and, and, and you don't get rejected and all of those sorts of things. This may not mean much right now, but I, I promise you in the next five to ten years, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge unless something dramatic happens because this is the way of our culture. So we're going to have to be serious and disciplined in our capacity to discern truth from lies. Now, biblically speaking, the mind and the brain are not the same thing. Uh, they're, they're not the same. You see, your mind does the thinking, but your brain is what you think with. You may have an incredible brain and a dysfunctional mind because you believe lies. You may have the capacity to to take in all kinds of things but not process it according to truth. You can be intellectually brilliant and spiritually deceived. And that's why renewing Uh, Our mind is so important, and that's why discerning the truth from lies requires that our minds be transformed. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. And he's talking, listen, he's talking about the mind, and you know what he's saying? Don't let the world literally squeeze you. In the Greek, the idea is don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And he says, so uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, listen to this, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you get that? Now, you ought to, you ought to memorize that verse. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, some translations say, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can discern through testing What is truth and what is myth? Some years ago in Washington, D.C., I went to, um, they have a thing called the International Spy Museum. I don't know, some of you may have been there before. It's very, very interesting. And I went to the International Spy Museum. And my wife hates it when I go to the museums, whether it's Smithsonian or any of these museums, because I'm a plaque reader. I read everything on the plaques. And so, you know, it's a long journey for me through a museum. And uh, by the way, through a cemetery, <laughs> I read the tombstones. And, uh, but we, I, I was there, and, and I'm walking through, and the museum displays how espionage has been carried on uh, really throughout history. But the largest part of the exhibit uh, focuses on the last 100 years of espionage. And in particular, there's a, a, a significant section that focuses on espionage during the Cold War. Now, In this audience, if I mentioned the Cold War in the next crowd, they probably uh, think that was something about uh, Dairy Queen. But but you know, because many of the people in this audience lived through the Cold War. You remember the Cold War, the tensions between the Soviet Union and and the U.S., and there I've read some books about how close we got to actual nuclear uh, confrontation. And you remember those days. You remember how how it, it was, and some of you even remember, we did it when in my elementary school, I remember in the first and second grade where we'd do a, a, um, a drill, and it was a bomb drill. It wasn't a fire drill, it was a bomb drill, 
And, uh, you know, you'd have to duck under your desk and uh, get as low as you could in case a nuclear bomb exploded, which, by the way, now I know would not have helped you a bit. But it was some kind of response, right? And we, we remember that. Well, in this museum, it talks about this particular segment of spying history, and it talks about what they call Moscow's rules. Moscow had some rules. Uh, uh, some say as many as 40 but they focused on 10 of them, and some of the rules included this. Uh, as a Soviet spy, assume nothing. Never look back. There is no limit. I thought this is interesting. There's no limit to the, a human's ability to rationalize the truth. In other words, you can deceive them if you can make them think that uh, what you're talking about is the truth. Uh, another, maintain a, a, a natural pace. And then this, if it feels wrong, it is wrong. And former CIA operative uh, uh, Jonah Mendez, uh, as well as a number of others, are quick to say that these rules are used by the agents around the globe to this day. And many of these rules boil down to simply one thing, cultivating discernment. Well, that's what the Scripture teaches us in our spiritual warfare. We've been given rules of engagement. And if we follow those rules, it will lead to our own spiritual preservation. Those rules are found in Scripture. They teach us how to discern uh, myths uh, from uh, uh, the truth. But to do that, we have to immerse ourselves in Scriptures. We have to mature to the point uh, by uh, investing and immersing ourselves in Scripture that our powers of discernment are trained. The writer of Hebrews 5, verse 14, put it this way, but solid food is for the mature. That's the Word of God. For those, listen to this, he writes, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, he said it is the Word of God that matures a believer to the point where their powers of discernment become more and more keen, more and more practiced, and enable them to distinguish good from evil. This will give a kind of instincts that we need in order to be aware of the enemy's tactics. So how do you do that? How do you discipline? Let me, let me just give you a couple of quick things before we're done. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you discipline? How do you train yourself to, to discern? Two things, and he gives it to us right here in the, the passage. The first thing Paul says in verse 5, we destroy uh, arguments in every lofty opinion. Raise, look at this phrase, against the knowledge of God. If you, want to, if you want to cultivate greater discernment, you must deepen your knowledge of God. The standard that Paul uses, the standard that distinguishes what is right and wrong is how it stacks up against the truth of who God is. In other words, that becomes a filter. Now think of it like this. So uh, you're getting a lot of messages and we're being bombarded by thoughts all the time. But what we do is because we have immersed ourselves in the Word of God and we've deepened our knowledge of God as we grow deeper in our knowledge of God, that forms a filter and that filter helps us to distinguish. Well, that's not consistent with the character of God. That's not consistent with the nature of God. That's not consistent with the truth about God. That's not consistent with the Word of God. And so it forms a filter. Why? Because we know God. God so well that we're able to distinguish anything, any philosophy, any opinion, any idea that is raised up against God. And we hear a lot of that today. And you know what? It's amazing how many folks that confess to be followers of Christ don't distinguish between what the culture is saying to them and what God has already said to them. Why? Because it just feels, we are people who too often allow truth to be dictated by how we feel. Well, I just, I just feel, I just feel a certain way. Listen, I'm for feelings, I've told you that a thousand times in these years. But dear friends, you don't live by your feelings. Because they're up and down. They're up and, you live by truth. Build your life on truth. That's what you live by. And, um, and so if you want to have, if you want to build a, 
a, a barrier between you and myths and lies. If you want to be able to train your ability to discern uh, truth from lies and myths, you've got to deepen your knowledge of God. And you know how you do that? You spend time with God. You spend God, time with God. It's not complicated. There's no substitute for time with the Lord. That's where you get to know God. And then here's the second thing that Paul says. So you want to, you want to deepen your knowledge of God, but you also uh, must captivate your mind. You have to captivate your mind. He says, and take and take. So the first thing is we destroy any arguments that aren't consistent with uh, the nature of God, the character of God, all that. And then we take every captive thought, some translations say, to the obedience of Christ. This is all about surrendering your mind to Christ. This is also, I mentioned a minute ago, the present active uh, indicative. This is also the present active in the Greek. And it means you practice this. You practice taking your thoughts captive uh, to Christ. It is disciplined. It is a decision that you make. And by the way, you make and you continue to 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 make. That's what it means. And that's consistent, right? Because the Scripture says whatever you set your mind on, it will set the course of your life. In Colossians 3, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And the word said in that passage means to let your mind dwell on or to linger on. A captivated mind is a mind surrendered to Christ. And so it takes a thought. It takes You've already got the filter. You know who God is. You know what His character is. So this thought comes in and you say, God, I know that thought is against you. Christ, you deal with that. I give that to you. I'm not going to hang on to that. I'm not going to let that occupy my mind. By the way, in the last year, one of the, 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 the things that the devil has used against so many is this, uh, this, this whole matter of fear. And he... he gives us a hundred reasons to fear and so fear comes in and we we start letting fear control us but God hasn't given you a spirit of fear the Bible already says in Isaiah says fear not for I'm with you and and so but the devil says fear 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 and you know what we hang on to that instead of saying wait a minute wait a minute that's not from God Christ I give that to you I give that to you and you say, yeah, I did that. And it came back about 10 minutes later. Guess what you do? This is present active. You say, oh, there it is again. I give that to you. Amen. I'm not going to let that occupy me. I'm not going to let that control me. Now, I didn't just say be, be dumb. But I'm saying don't be controlled by fear. Amen. <clears throat> be smart enough not to be controlled by your fears. And by the way, most of the time you can't do anything about your fears anyway did you know that they did a study and they showed that 95 percent of the things that we fear we have no control over so the devil loves to to use that it's just an example of how whatever your mind sets on will steer your life a captivated mind is is taking what comes in and it's giving it to christ and so paul's message is this do not mentally tolerate anything that is inconsistent with christ or the gospel. How do we know? Look over at verse 4 of chapter 11. I also listed this as a part of our text, but look over at cha uh, chapter 11, verse 4. Uh, well, look at verse 3. Paul says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, we talked about that earlier, by the, his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Do you notice that? Your thought, both of these passages are about the mind. That your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion. But look on at verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Why? Because they had learned to, what to do with their thoughts. That's what he was saying. Look, you have, like, like Adam and Eve, you can be deceived. If you're not careful, if you don't know what to put your mind on, uh, listen, somebody can come in and they can tell you this and they can tell you this, and you readily accept it. He said, why? Because they hadn't done the two things we said. They, they had not. Uh, you know, deepened their knowledge uh, of God, and they had not allowed Christ to captivate their minds. Now, let me just say this as I wrap up. Your mind is captive to something. Don't think, well, I, I don't. Everybody has a worldview. 
I don't have time to talk about it. I wish I did. Everybody has a worldview. And your worldview dictates how you live and what you're living for. Your worldview dictates what you will accept as truth and what you reject as truth. And so that's why it must be, I believe, shaped biblically. Your worldview must have a biblical framework because there's a spiritual war being waged for your mind. The devil wants it. Uh, and he wants to control it. And he'll do so with myths and anything he can to mislead you. But God also wants your mind. God wants your mind just like the devil does. He wants to fill it, though, with eternal truth. Truth that will last you beyond this life. Much of which is increasingly his truth going against the grain of the age that you're living in. Dr. Erwin Lutzer one of my favorite writers has written this. He said, Our nation is rotting on the inside and hostile forces are moving to take away our freedom and faith. Not until, listen, this is his words, not mine. Not until all is lost will many awake to the painful reality that, they, that, that, that their freedoms are gone. And the reason is because, the tran- listen, the transition is happening over a period of years And millions of people don't even realize it's happening at all. They believe that no spiritual battle battle exists or that if it does, the consequences are exaggerated by preachers like me. But the consequences are profound. Y'all remember an old commercial that used to say this, a mind is a terrible thing to waste? It really is. So don't let yours be wasted on lies and myths that will lead you down a road of misbelief. The battle for your mind, friend, is real. And it's as old as the ages. And the voice that you listen to will decide your destiny. I read the story last week about a man who was traveling with his family through the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's beautiful, as you know, but there's not a lot of places to stop for gas or those sorts of things and he happened to look down and he realized that he was almost out of gas you know that light comes on and he's in the in the route through these mountains he's thinking oh no what am I going to do he didn't want to tell his wife because he didn't want her to panic and he starts praying God help me find a, a, a gas station and he's praying he's praying he said finally he did he found a little country inn kind of village thing and there was a gas station there and he pulled into the gas station and an old man walked out and did it like they used to do it he he took out the nozzle and he put he's going to put the gas in for him and this guy is so relieved true story he said he's so relieved that he didn't run out of gas he didn't have to tell his wife he was running out of gas and he gets out of the car you know and he's back there where the the older gentleman is pumping the gas and he said praise the lord Sniffed in some of that uh, air in the Blue Ridge Mountains. He said, isn't it a beautiful day to be alive? And the old mountaineer never raised his head up and said, (laughs) I don't know. I ain't never been any other way. I've always been alive. So I don't know what it's like to not be alive. Isn't it great to be alive? Don't know. Haven't been anything else. I want to tell you something. I've been another way. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But now I know life. I know life. And it's great. It's great to be alive. And it's great to be alive and have life in Jesus Christ. Do you? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for life that comes through your Son, our Savior. Uh, Father, it is great to be alive in Christ. And Lord, we need your life controlling our life so that we don't believe the lies of the enemy. And I want to pray, Father, for anyone in this place today that's never really trusted you as their Savior or any that are watching us by live stream or television. 
In fact, if would you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed in this building and those of you who are watching us? If you can say in your heart, I, I'm not sure I've ever done that, why don't you call out to God? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can pray a prayer that goes something like this. Lord Jesus, right now, I recognize my need for you. I call upon you. I ask you to come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for washing away my sin. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord and Master. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I've let so many lies of the world shape my family, my, my life, the way I, what I stand for and what I, what I stand against. Lord, I've allowed too many myths to become truth. Today I just tell you, Lord, help me to live my life on the authority and with the filter of your truth, your word. Now, Father, I thank you for those who have called out to you today and those who have, uh, Father, renewed their commitment to truth, your truth, and to allow you to shape their lives. Father, I pray you bless them and that you favor them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will look this way before we're gone, those of you who are joining us on live stream, I'm so glad to have you tuned in today. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been encouraged in this place today. And maybe you prayed that prayer to trust Christ as your Savior. Would you do something? Would you text the word PASTOR, P-A-S-T-O-R, to 334-384-8080? I practiced. We'd love to know about your decision. We'd love to help you. We'll take it from there. Don't you worry about that. But just text the word pastor to that number. You'll see it on the screen in front of you. You can do that in the live audience, or better yet, our live audience, any decision you've made, you can register that on the worship folder you receive. The tear-off panel gives you an opportunity to do that. And as you head out the building, you can just drop that in the offering baskets at the back of the building. And if you're joining us again by live stream, you say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest. I'm, I'm going to be returning to church. There's a day coming when I'll be physically back in church, and I want Ridgecrest to be that church. You can join us today right where you are. People did it last week. They do it just about every week. We have people being added to our congregation. You can do it, uh, folks, here as well. But you just text the word JOIN to the same number, 334-384-8080. It's on your screen. And just say, I want to become a part of the Ridgecrest family. Maybe you say, I need to be baptized at some point down the road. We'll take all of that. We'll handle all that. Don't you worry about that. You, te you text that word to us, baptize, or indicate it on your tear-off panel. In all of those cases, we'll take it from there. Thank you for being here today. I love you. God bless you. Walk in truth this week. Um, and uh, God will never lead you in the path of lies. All right? Brother Chuck, come.